0: Open up your Bibles to Psalms 51, and we're going to talk about eternal life or experiencing eternal life as a believer Uh, today, maybe next week, maybe, maybe for a little bit here. But if you will, Psalm 51, eternal life is something that belongs to every Christian. Every Christian, when they get saved, actually receives God's life or eternal life in them. And, uh, you know, so often people receive eternal life and they think that's all there is to it. That's it. Or it was such, such a great experience in the years to come. They look back and go, I remember this. And uh, that's wonderful because I remember in 1985 when I dedicated my life to the Lord. It was so good. I thought, I'm not telling you anybody this won't last. And after one, two, three days, I went. I think it's going to keep going at least for a little bit here. So I started telling people. And I kept experiencing this eternal life that I didn't have before. And I was thinking, and my life was so purposeless, if that's the way you say it, without purpose. I would just think, man, why am I alive? Nobody told me, this is why you're alive after you. I got saved. It was answered. What I had, that was it. And, uh, and I used to think, you know, when will this run out? Well, I found out God doesn't want it to run out, and it doesn't run out, and there is a way to experience salvation for anybody who has given their life to the Lord. And not just for the first year you're saved. You know, we're on our honeymoon. Honeymoon's always the best. And then you hear people who are down on marriage tell you, wait till the second year. No, it can be good, too and the third year, and the fourth year, but there are things you do to help or to participate in that. In other words, you can't just act like an idiot and expect to have a great marriage. Just I'd throw that out there. Oh, Lord. This makes me think. You know, you ever run across somebody who's just really rough, and you think, if you're married, your marriage just can't be that good. Or you don't treat them like you treat everybody else. Just put that away and move on. Psalm 51. Experiencing salvation. God wants you to experience salvation, not the day you get saved or the first week or two. He wants, because it's not something that disappears, but sometimes there are things that happen... And people, uh, we know them, they were on fire for God once and and then now they're not or they're not experienced the salvation that they have received and that they have in the Lord. We're going to talk about how to tap into that eternal life. And, And this will change you. Amen. Psalm 51 verse 12 said, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Now we understand these people weren't born again like us, but they did have a covenant with God. There was to be some peace in their life, not like we have we have something even even greater, but it's interesting he connects joy and salvation. Actually, the New Testament does too. And then he said, "If I experience this joy of salvation, I experience this life that I have. He said, then, verse 13, I will teach transgressors your ways. It'll come out of me. I'll tell people that, that there is a standard. And then he said, and sinners shall be converted to you. All of this is the result of a return To the joy and the fullness of salvation. He said deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed. In other words, Lord I did wrong. I did some stuff. I'm not guilty. Clean me. That's important. Christians need to know what it is to be clean. Or cleansed. And he said, from bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation, and when I'm, notice he said this, and my tongue shall sing. Isn't it interesting when God helped them with their joy and God helped them with their cleansing, stuff started coming out of their mouth. He said, I'll teach transgressors and sinners will be converted. My tongue shall sing aloud with depression. I mean, no. My tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. Just how good and how right God is. Isn't it interesting? He talks about salvation, people experiencing it, and what it would do in me and then through me. Turn, if you will, to John or 1 John, way back in the back of your Bible, right before the book of Revelation. There's a little tiny book called Jude, and uh, then 1st John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, but 1st 1 John 1, one 1 John one, 1. and then we're going to begin reading, and we'll see here that he talks about salvation should bring some kind of eternal joy, eternal peace, that is to uh, influence you through your relationship with God. It should, and and we know this, because we're a Bible-believing church, right? That in Nehemiah, what is it, 8.10? The joy of the Lord is your strength. Or you could say this way, you could read it backwards and say, knowing God's strength will be your joy. But on the other hand, the joy of the Lord working in you is strength. Man, that's so good in a day that we live in to know how to have strength. And it's connected to joy. And joy is connected to our walk with God, to our fellowship, our interaction. Notice this, John, 1 John 1, verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes... This is John, who was one who walked with Jesus. And what he's starting to do is he's describing his walk with the Lord and how when Jesus was still on the earth, he walked with him. He saw him. He handled him. He touched him with his own hands. He had a personal experience with him. He said, our hands have handled. And then he doesn't call him Jesus. He calls him the word of life. We know in the Bible that the Word became flesh. Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. Verse 2 said, the life. So now he shortens it and just doesn't call it the word of life, him the word of life. He calls him life. Jesus is true life. And he said the life was manifested or appeared and we have seen. And we bear witness or we declare to you that eternal life. So he changes from the word of life to life to now calling Jesus eternal life. He said, we declare Jesus to you. When we declare Jesus to you, we declare eternal life to you. And he said this, we declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That's pretty awesome. He said, I'm an eyewitness. I've handled Jesus. I know Him personally. How we gravitate toward people who have had visions. Because people are enamored with the supernatural. Somebody said, I had Jesus appear to me. I had a vision. People will go to meetings to hear about somebody who had an encounter and saw the Lord personally. We're reading a story just like that. This guy saw not only a vision, we know he did, he wrote the book of Revelation, which was a vision. But not only did he say that, he said, not only did I see him in a vision, I saw him personally. I handled him. I touched him. I saw his miracles. We call him the word of life. We call him life. He's eternal life. And he said, verse 3, that which we have seen, And heard, we declare or share with you for this purpose, that you also may have fellowship, or we would say it like this, interaction with us. But does that mean that we'll have interaction with John? No, when he said with us, he explains. And truly, our fellowship, our interaction, is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. In other words, he said, Listen, I wrote these things so that every person can come to know the Lord who would receive him and have intimacy with him with this eternal life. Verse 4 These things we write to you that your joy may be full or overflowing. Inner action with the Lord, receiving him. Causes new life that produces peace and joy. He said, I wrote these things to you, the church, that your joy, or you could say it this way, your strength would be full. How does it get full? How does it overflow? It overflows because it comes into you when you receive the Lord. He said that. John 4, 14, Jesus met a woman one day, and He said, you know, she was not of the children of Israel. He said, I could give you living water. It would come inside of you, and it would spring up everlasting life. In other words, this would produce everlasting life bubbling up. You could say it this way, peace and joy from heaven, divine life from heaven... Eternal life from heaven will come in you and start bubbling up. He said that. He said that's what eternal life will do. It will produce peace, joy, power out of the inside of you like a well. Turn with me if you will. And that, And if you're taking notes, John 4.14 was what I was quoting. When that woman met the Lord and he said it would be in you springing up eternal life. That means the person who receives the Lord should have eternal life, or heaven's life, heaven's atmosphere coming out of the inside of them. Not out of their head, not out of their feelings, but like Jesus said, out of their innermost being. Now, the world doesn't have this. They have to receive that eternal life. Then it will come out of them. But he said it would be like a well. Turn to Genesis 26. Everybody okay? Genesis 26. And uh, we're going to look at a scripture about wells. These wells we're about to read about were wells that all the children of Israel were supposed to partake of. They were like a community well that were dug for their descendants. We could say it like this, just like they naturally partook of the wells and their descendants were because they were of a covenant, and these were natural wells, anybody born of God until the Lord comes back should be partaking from that well of eternal life that dwells in them. Joy and peace. But notice this in Genesis 26, this, these were to be passed on to their descendants But what happened was uh, some enemies came, some circumstances arose, and and we're going to read what happened. Genesis 26, verse 18, and Isaac dug again the wells of water, which they had dug in the days of Abraham. Well, if you read back a couple of verses before in the 15th verse, that... uh, the, the wells that belonged to the people of Israel, uh, the world had come in. They had clogged them up with earth and dirt and life. You know, they just threw stuff. And that flow that they were supposed to partake of to give life and to produce fruit, it had gotten all clogged up. And so they dug again the well. Why would we want to dig again a well to get out what's in the well. And in our lives, you know, life can come, and sometimes people do stuff wrong. Good people, good Christians, the Lord still loves them, but it has an effect on that flow of eternal life. Turn, if you will, back to 1 John, and we're going to begin looking at how to get this eternal life flowing through you no matter where you're at. And there are distinct ways of getting that well flowing. I don't know about you. I didn't sign up, uh, you know, just to have something for a short time I, I, and, and think, well, it's going to be over. I did know that at least heaven will be good. But I found out that God wanted us all to partake of eternal life from the day we got born again till the day he comes back or we go to be with him. And that eternal life is super powerful and will affect you in every way of your life if you'll let it. I mean every area. Mentally, emotionally, physically. Every part of your existence. How you prosper in life is all connected to this eternal life. And so there is something here that we're going to look at in 1 John and we're going to look at it in verse 9. Now remember... He wrote and said this. What did He say? I I wrote these things so that this life might be in you, but that your joy, this strength, might overflow through your life. Be full. Notice verse 9. If you know the context, you know He told us if you do everything right, there is a constant sense of purging and a sense of being clean. And confidence, and it will help you with your joy. But I don't know, I would say at least this half of the room, not this half, has made a mistake and sinned at some point. Okay, not this half, this half. Now, all of us, including me, have since we got saved, no matter how perfect we look, we've missed it. And well, what are we supposed to do when we miss it? Because here's what happens when somebody misses it. They have a sense of condemnation or shame or guilt that will try to cause them to go, you're you're not good enough. Or there's an inward knowing, I missed it. What, What do we do? If we live in that sense for a long period of time, we start thinking we don't measure up. And I was taught for years that what you do is you just go confess to God and say, God, forgive me. We're going to look at this verse, and it may not say what we thought it said when we were told that. I remember years ago, I mean, 15 years ago, I heard somebody talk about what I'm going to talk about today. And uh, I thought, you know what? What he said is true. And some of what I believed was maybe not true even though I didn't fully adopt it because you have to search the scriptures. That's what I do. Don't just swallow everything. And I always appreciate hearing things whether I agree with it or not because I want to evaluate why I believe what I believe. And maybe there is something to be seen. Could this be the key Right here to keeping the joy and the fellowship. Uh, that intimacy and that power flowing in your life. First John 1 John 1.9 says this. Uh, well we'll read verse 8. If, if we say that we have no sin. We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. In other words we recognize that we're not perfect. But, but we do... Or I could say it this way, in our actions we may not be perfect, but in spirit we've been created pure and clean. But notice, when you do recognize you've done something wrong, what do you do? Notice verse 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive or purge us from our sins and cleanse us From all unrighteousness. Without going into great detail on parts of this, one thing it doesn't say is you get righteous again. Because a Christian is righteous and in right standing because of the blood of Jesus, you've been created right. Notice there's a difference between being made right and cleansed from a wrong act. Of unrighteousness. Are you with me? In other words. I can have a white car. That gets totally dirty. And uh, it gets cleansed from dirt. It doesn't become white. It was white. It gets cleansed from. You understand? But it's still white. We were still created. The Bible said in true righteousness. And holiness could could a person experience a sense of cleansing though sure they can but notice what it says and notice what it doesn't say in verse 9 it says the first part if we confess our sins notice what it doesn't say if you confess it to god now here's the thing every letter From Romans on, you cannot find in the New Covenant where people go that are Christians and go to God and say, oh, forgive me, God, forgive me, God, forgive me, God. I knew you'd appreciate that. Now, don't don't just throw me off the cliff yet. This is the scripture we use in the church world. But somebody said, well, it does say if you confess your sin. But what does that mean to confess your sin? It's the Greek word, which all of you need to know this, and I may not be pronouncing it correctly, and no, you don't have to know it, but you can look it up. It's homologeo, which literally means to save the same thing as another. To say the same thing as another. As a matter of fact, the Bible calls Jesus the high priest of our confession, our homologio. In heaven, he declares things to God in line with what we declare. In heaven, he is saying something. And this is what God says or Jesus says as our heavenly mediator. I washed them, I cleaned them, I died once for all their sins, I have delivered them from the power of sin. They have strength to overcome, they have strength to live in victory. Now, if I am to confess homologeo, say the same thing as him, remember the verse before, if we say we've never sinned, we lie. So what do I do when I've done wrong? I say that, that that I did was wrong. I say the same thing He says about it. But I don't stop there. I say the same thing He says. I'm free from that. He has given me victory over that. He has washed me from that. I am dead to sin. These are all scriptures. These are all things he said about it. I am alive unto him. Sin shall not have dominion over me any longer. He has made me more than a conqueror over this. That's what he's saying in heaven about the situation. And we are to confess the same thing he says. It doesn't say, confess it to him. It says, say the same thing he says about it. That was wrong. But here's the thing. Here's what some people do. Oh Lord, forgive me of that thing. He already paid for it once for all. I'm so weak and I'm such a loser You see my weakness, and you see how I so struggle with all these sins, and I'll always be struggling with these sins, and you know that I'm just this helpless person. Are you saying the same thing as him? No. No. And you have eternal life in you. You have power in you. You have ability in you. When you got saved, you became a new creation spiritually, inside, not mentally and physically. And the Bible tells us if we want to walk in victory over sin, he said we need to reckon or consider that we're dead to it. But if all I do is go talk to him and say how weak I am, am I really saying the same thing he said? Am I really saying the same thing he is actually in heaven? He's called the high priest, the heavenly high priest. They had an earthly one, now we have a heavenly one. He represents us before God. He pleads on your behalf. He doesn't hit his head and go, great, they've done it again, Lord. No, he declares, I paid for their victory over that 2,000 years ago. I have given them the victory over that. I need to partner with my high priest. The one who's the ruler of my life. I need to say the same thing he says. Yes, but I so struggle with hate. And I struggle with this. Lord, anger, bitterness, unforgiveness. Well, then I need to say, I have eternal life. These are emotions. But I have a new spiritual nature. I know, according to the Bible, I pass from death unto life because love tries to rule through me. And we all know that it does once we're saved. We even have thoughts sometimes, I shouldn't say this, and then we say it. Don't turn around and go, sorry, Lord, I always do that. You're not saying, always? Stop it. Remember when you got corrected when you were little, and you said you told your kid, or you were told, "Don't say that." This is a good one. Don't say, "I always do that." Start saying, "Lord, I've got eternal life." You, I'm quoting scriptures. You work in me both to will and to do of your good pleasure. Your good pleasure is for me to walk in love. Notice what he's doing. He's wanting. What is the context here? He's wanting this eternal life to not be pushed down, but He's wanting it to come forth. He's wanting joy to come forth. And I don't know about you, but if you spend 20 minutes saying how rotten you are, you're probably not going to get up and just be so full of joy. And the Lord's not up in heaven going, oh great, here comes the rotten one. Even if you say that to Him, He's not going, yes, that's true, you caught me on this one. No, he's up there declaring what he bought, what he paid for, what he did in your life. And so if you notice, he said, if we confess our sins, we are to say the same thing he said about it. Jesus already died for that. He's washed me from it. I'm clean from it. I've been empowered over it. He's not just going to empower me. When you receive the Lord, you receive the power to overcome and live as an overcomer in every area. So now, because He's my high priest of my profession, which means saying the same thing He says... I need to say the same thing he says about that thing I committed. I've got victory over that. He conquered that. I'm confessing the same thing he is about that sin. Everybody okay? I I need to say the same thing he said. Who his own self bore my sins in his own body on the tree that I being now dead to sin can live under righteousness. I'm dead to that thing. I'm free from that thing. Notice I'm not declaring it to God, but the Bible tells us that he is the high priest over our profession or the one who looks at what we says he says the same thing. We say the same thing. In other words, he declares it in heaven. He hears us. What he offers to God is our words. Everybody alive? What are we talking about? Having eternal life flowing through us. If I am constantly rehashing to God my failures, my insufficiencies, uh, areas where I've missed it again... And I'm always rehashing that to the Lord. And I'm not saying you can't bring something up and say, Lord, help me in this area. And then pray in the Spirit about it. You know, praying in the Spirit the Bible talks about. Praying in an unknown tongue. Romans 8.26 tells us that when we struggle in an area, He said, He will help us in our moral frailties. To pray about it. So if we do have an area where we're, we are missing it. And seemingly failing. You can talk to the Lord about it. Not in the terms of I'm just such a bad person. No. He wants us to live overcoming what he has already defeated for us. And he said you could pray by the help of the Holy Spirit. And gain victory. And walk it out. He's for you winning. Even when you have failed. We just need to recognize what he's bought, what he's paid for, and we need to begin to declare in line with it. What, what will these things do for us? Well, when we declare we're clean... And we declare we've been set free. And we declare God's working. And we declare we have victory over this because He bought the victory. What we're doing is we're driving off shame from sticking around. Anybody ever need shame to leave? You ever notice it doesn't leave when you just wallow in it? In other words, it's one of the Companions, just like pepperoni belongs on pizza. Wallowing and shame just go together. Somebody said pepperoni doesn't belong on pizza. I'm sorry you don't understand the truth (laughs) in every area, but at least we'll get this part. It drives off shame. Shame. It drives off guilt that the enemy would try to cause to hang around you like a little dog when you leave your house and wants to be with you. And people have shame and guilt that follows them. And really what he's trying to do in this statement is when we've missed it, it is a way that the enemy would try to attach guilt and attach shame in your life so that you're carrying a weight that would slow you down and drag you down. You ever been running at any point in your life and you got a little tired? You're not always real cheerful like, woohoo, yeah, I'm doing good. You start carrying extra weight and it will affect your joy. And we don't need the guilt and shame of past mistakes weighing us down. When they do, what happens is eternal life gets pushed down. Well, what do we do? We do exactly what he said. We say the same thing he says about it. We do the same thing. We say, I am washed. I am clean. And you understand, these are multiple scriptures that I'm saying declaring, considering that you're dead to sin? What if you started considering, I'm dead to that thing I failed in? What if you start saying the same thing he says about it? He already died to set me free from that. Uh, The power of the enemy has been broken over my life. He's delivered me and put me into the kingdom of his dear son. These are all fragments of scriptures. All I'm doing is declaring what he said. Turn to Ephesians, the sixth chapter. Everybody alive and well? You know... There is sting by words people say. Isn't there? Somebody says something hurtful. Maybe they didn't even know it was hurtful. They said it and it stings. But usually the reason it stings is because we're some way we think about it. Are you with me? And, and that sting hurts. But if if I'm secure about me, certain things won't sting anymore. Are you with me? Now, past failures can be a thing that sting. Words people say can be things that sting. Words the enemy brings can sting. Notice this in Ephesians 6 he says something very similar talking about the armor of god these weapons and defensive things concerning living this life he goes through this big huge list he talks about putting on righteousness or understanding that we're right with god and girding our loins with truth putting on the helmet of salvation in other words think Like you're saved. And think like the Lord's coming again. He said it will be an anchor to your soul. Then he talks about your feet. Shod or strapped on the preparation of the gospel of peace. In other words you have peace with God. And we go share the good news that others can have peace with God. He talks about all these pieces of armor. And then he talks about this. Shield of faith. It says, by which, by this shield of faith, we can quench every fiery dart of the wicked one. Really, when we sin, that's what happens. We get fiery darts. Oh, you don't amount to much. That's why we say the same thing as the Lord about that sin. I'm washed. My value is in the blood of Jesus. And notice this. Verse 16. Ephesians 6. And above all, taking the shield of faith. It would do you good to go back and read all of these and get rid of all the names of the parts of armor. Just for clarity... Because then, instead of taking a shield, it says, Take up faith. Take up faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Notice, put them out, extinguish them. Well, the very next thing says, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Notice the only weapon there, all the other ones are defensive, the only offensive one is the sword of the Spirit. It's the word, you know, Rama, the word, the spoken word. It's the spoken word. We use our faith, And the spoken word. We know what he said. And we speak what he said. We say what he said. I'm clean. Doesn't matter what I did. His blood washed it. Because it's important for believers. It's important for believers to know they're clean. To get rid of that sting. To extinguish it. Because it will paralyze people, and God doesn't want it paralyzing you. He wants your joy full. He wants eternal life flowing through you. Somebody could be, you know, if we could look in the Spirit, turn back to Psalm 51, we're going to close over here. If we could look at some people, maybe even my life at some point, you know, you, you could have watched and gone, why is there a big forest, big old fire on his head? Somebody said, did you get filled with the Spirit? That happened, the Holy Spirit, fire and power. Or is it the fire of fiery darts burning? But he said, you know, you could extinguish all of those by doing what? Declaring what he declares about the situation. He's faithful and just to cleanse. He already paid for it. We need to say the same thing. We read this just a minute ago, or a few minutes ago, but I want to read it again because what is the result of this eternal life flowing through us? And when eternal life flows, it doesn't just bless you, it blesses others. Restore, verse 12, 51, to me the joy of your salvation. Other people, you know, when they have the joy of salvation working in their life, to people who don't, they can be obnoxious. You know what I mean? Woo, praise the Lord, brother. And they're like, yeah, praise the Lord to you too, brother. But when the joy of the Lord is working, you're like, I understand this. We may not be as exuberant in our response, but we understand it. We're partakers, we know. And when he said, restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me by your generous spirit, man, they only had an outward experience. We have an inward dwelling of God now. And he said, then, then I will teach. You know, sometimes people who have a sense of guilt that just kind of hangs around them, they'll say things and it just kind of leaks out. You say, well, what do you mean? They'll go something like this. Well, you know, the Lord wants to do, that. you need to live like this. I know we're not all perfect, and they're kind of covering their own base. I blow it. Isn't that the truth? But in all reality, we should be identifying with the fact that, yeah, people do blow it, but we're clean. We're washed, we're empowered. We can blow it less. Why? Because I'm dead to this. Instead of identifying and going, well, you know. And I do understand it can be helpful for people. But at the same time, we should shoot for the top. We're dead. To sin. He said, then I will teach transgressors your ways. And sinners shall be converted to you. Isn't it interesting that he said, as I experience this. I'm going to be able to share this with other people. God doesn't want salvation to be something distant. Of the past. He wants your intimacy with Him. And your fellowship with Him. To be a real exchange. And a real flow of life out of you. Here's the thing I've learned. That there are times in our life. Maybe, that while I'm preaching, you have a sense of, wow, it's almost like Joy would like to get a hold of me right now. But I'll stop that, because I'm not worthy. Anybody ever notice something like that? You know, all of a sudden you start spending time with God, reading, and it's like, yes. And some thoughts come and go, no. Oh. No, quench that. Quench that. Say the same thing God said. I'm clean. Paul said this about himself, one of the writers in the New Testament. He said, I was the chiefest among sinners. God reached out to me so that he could show to the whole world how he can save somebody like this. And he didn't live with guilt the whole rest of his life. And you don't have to either. Amen? You don't have to either. Intimacy with the Lord produces joy and peace. Fellowship with Him produces joy and peace. Here are some things we should do as believers just to keep this flowing. I know I touched on a main one, but we should stay connected with things that cause this to flow through us. One is, be committed to church. Be committed to fellowship with other believers. It just helps. i would talked to somebody, I've talked to different people, they hadn't been in church in a while, and they just said, man, how good it is to be back in fellowship. Why? There's a blessing on this. It's uh, I've heard this over the years again and again, man, I've been out of church this long. I hadn't been been in church and there is a blessing there because it's God ordained. It's God ordained. And so God blesses it. It will help that flow our time in his word personally where we have some devotion and where we pray. One reason why prayer gets so hard for people is because they, they go, man, I've got to approach God and I've been a goofball. And they haven't got rid of the shame. They haven't got rid of the guilt. So they go in there and they're about to see the creator of the universe and all of his glory and here's me. I missed it. And when I go... If I go wrong, I go confessing, forgive me, Lord. And I've said it every time I go to talk to him, and it just erodes my faith. So what I need to do is go, here I come, Lord. You've washed me. I'm clean. Prayer gets easier that way. Isn't it interesting in Hebrews, writing to people who knew about sacrifices and Things being washed in their life. He told them come boldly to the throne of grace. That you may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. In other words when things are tough or where you face something. He said you can come boldly. Not with shame. But what happens is people try to approach from an avenue of shame. Well you know how much I've missed it. Stop it. Say the same thing he said. I'm dead to that, thank you Lord, here we go. It will change the weight of prayer to being something glorious. So, things we should do. Be in fellowship in church. Be in fellowship with other believers. Fellowship with God in His Word. And and this probably goes without saying, but it probably should be said, some people, when they get in that negative flow, all they see is the negative in the word. The, the sting of an asp, you know, poisonous snake is under their tongue. That's me. No, it's not you. He said out of, out of a believer, bitter water cannot flow. That only comes out of their mind, not out of their spirit. Then the other thing is just obey what you know to do from him that he's dealt with you. Don't get a big list. He'll deal with you. Obey. And then be a witness because that will also help that flow. I'll tell you, he's got a full, full overcoming life for all of us to walk in. And he wants you to walk in it now and technically you're in it now. If you're saved, if you're born again, if you've given your life to the Lord, that's it. Period. You've got it. And don't you argue. (laughs) No, say the same thing. But, no. Anybody ever see Dumb and Dumber? I don't suggest it. Remember, he met that girl, and she was going to say something, and he put his finger. No, don't say anything. Some of us need that to do that to ourselves. No, don't say anything. Only say what he says. You remember the old saying, if you don't have anything good to say, repent and say something good. That's how you say it. Amen? So he said, don't say anything at all. No, repent. And say something good. It means change the way you think. And say something good. Amen. Say what he says. What's he saying? Find it right there. And it's all good toward you. Amen.